Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we have the amazing privilege of speaking with Deborah Smith-Pigay. Deborah is a CPA, MBA, certified John Maxwell leadership coach and speaker, certified behavior consultant, Bible teacher, and international speaker. She's now written over 18 transformational books, including the best-selling 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue and the One Minute Money Mentor for Women. With all of that being said, I'm going to step away and let Deborah lead the show today because her resume is a whole lot cooler than mine. But ladies and gentlemen, this is Miss Deborah. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Trep, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much for accepting our invite to come. It's amazing to hear about what all you've accomplished in your life. Like you've overcome a lot of objections to become the lady that you are now. And God's used you in such a dramatic way. And you've been super busy. You have a new book coming out, We Like a Woman, which comes out on August 11th. Can you kind of start off with sharing the message of the book with us? The message of the book is about women leading with power. Uh, you know, the studies show that it's going to take about 200 years for women to achieve gender equality. Mm. I'm saying we can't wait. We, we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just encouraging women not to um, to really pursue their own destiny with a with a strategy to embrace the qualities that God has already given them. Mm. When I, in the book, I talk about 12 qualities that uh, God has given women that really position them to excel in leadership. But, but then I talk about 12 traits that we often find ourselves victims of, uh, our self-sabotage that really derail our success. So I'm, it's really not a male bashing book or anything like that. I totally believe that women and men have to work hand in hand. Yeah. And I always like to kind of jokingly say that's why in the Garden of Eden, he told them, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Can you imagine each of them trying to pursue their own agenda with that? Oh, <laughs> that would be an interesting conversation for sure. Now, with all of that being said, I want to know about Deborah. I want to know, how did you become the amazing woman that you are today? The amazing woman of leadership. You coach people on finances, your leadership coach. You just do so much. Where did all that start for you? What was your upbringing like? I'm going to say the church version. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm going to tell you what it was like practically. I grew up in a small town and called Palestine, Texas, and I was 14 years old when they uh, passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's important to me because all my life racism has played a part, but it hasn't derailed me. And I, that's kind of my message. I uh, had I, we had a pretty big family. My father was a sawmill worker. My mom was a maid and I uh, had six brothers. And um, so I went to college and let me just back up and say that all my life, people have said, if only this had been the case, you would have done this. And I say down with that. So my last year of high school, they consolidated the high schools that it was segregated. There was a black high school, white high school. Everybody said, mm-hmm. if you stayed at that school, you would have been the valedictorian. I was the valedictorian anyway. That's kind of like set the tone for my life. Um, whatever I'm supposed to do, I totally believe that nobody can thwart God's purpose for my life. So I went to college majored in accounting, became a CPA, never heard of what a CPA was until I actually went to the white high school. And the the teacher told me, you're good at bookkeeping. You should consider accounting. Like, what's that? (laughs) 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 What is that? (laughs) So at any rate, um, so I went to University of North Texas. 
I was like the second or third third black person they graduated with a degree in accounting. Wow. In the history of the school. Um, then I came to California just kind of on a whim. My mom had left my dad. It was a very abusive household, to, mm-hmm. to tell you the real truth. Mm-hmm. I, my ambition comes from never not wanting to be as powerless as my mom was. And so yeah. I majored, I got an MBA in finance, and it's just been a wonderful life. I, I don't have complaints. Every adversity has made me who I am. I saw it all as a stepping stone, truly believe that all things work together for my good. So, hey, I'm here. Amen to that. And I saw in your motto that you refuse to be a victim. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, I'm never a victim. I feel like a victim is someone that something has happened to and they just got stuck and stayed there. I just believe that um, it's, it all works. And I'm going to give you an example, and I hope it's not offensive to anybody, but it's, it's my story. But yeah. my last year in college, I had, uh, not, and I've always been good at English and all that because our teachers taught us to be, but the teacher called me in and he said, you and Miss Patmore have tied for the A in the class, and I'm going to have to reexamine you to see which one of you would get the A. And mm-hmm. I got the B. Uh, I was frustrated with that. I would North, my, my school kind of had a little reputation for being like that, but I was fr- so frustrated by that. I started to read grammar books like they were exciting novels. That's <laughs> amazing. Knew, yeah. So it, I didn't know that God was positioning me to be a writer like 30 years mm-hmm. later or something like that. So in my yeah. head, it all worked out. My publisher lets me turn in things at the last minute because they say, oh, it comes in so clean. We don't have to clean it up. That's God. <laughs> yeah, it is. And with all of that, is it true that you started off your first job as a maid? Oh, yeah. I thought that was fun. You make money. I just needed money to go to school. <laughs> what did you I, learn I, from that? Like you had, you've been a vice president of a Fortune 500 company. You started off as a maid. What did you learn from being a maid that you've carried all through these years? I learned how to live on a little bit of money. And mm. I, I think that's why I can manage my money well. Even when I was in school, I, I lived off of a tiny bit of money. But I also learned that um, everybody isn't bad. Even the lady that I worked for and her family, she had, she gave us really good clothes. She gave me really mm. good clothes. And she was a you know a really smart dresser. And people thought I had a lot of clothes. <laughs> and I did because she gave them to me. <laughs> but I just learned to, to whatever it takes, there's no dishonorable job. I will do any job as long as it's, it's not dishonest. And so... You know, I, I I never saw that as a disadvantage. You know, it's how you see things. Hmm. I'm just seeing it as an opportunity, a tool that got me uh, to the point where I could buy school clothes. So yeah, and that's yeah. amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Like, I'm already encouraged, and we just got started. <laughs> like, this is gonna be awesome. But so when it comes down to lead like a woman, you've already pretty much mastered the art of leadership. But for the women listening to this podcast, and maybe they need a little extra encouragement. Why do you feel as if a women make great leaders? Because God has positioned them to. Harvard does. Harvard University has done a lot of studies and others on how women fare in the workplace. And the studies show that when they test about 10 characteristics, I believe it was, women excelled in eight of them. And mm-hmm. the only ones that they didn't excel in was uh, confidence and risk taking. Can you believe that? They had all the other traits. And I want you, just for the benefit of your audience, I want to just read through the 10 things really quick. I'm just going to, 12 things that women are gifted in. I'm just going to give the word. We're collaborative. We're emotionally savvy. We're nurturing. We're communicative, intuitive, motivational, resilient, we're flexible. We're vulnerable. We're servant-hearted. We're principled. And we're resourceful. How's that for a list? All of those things they're finding, it, especially in corporate America and in any organization that's trying to excel in this mission, they're finding that when you have women aboard, they're much more successful. But I think women don't perceive what they bring to the table. And I'm here to tell you, I live in Proverbs 31, 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. 
I love that. I'm going to slow it down. She perceives, she perceives that her merchandise is good. You have to know that whatever you bring to the table, you have to value it. You can't minimize it. You can't explain it away so that nobody will dislike you. You got to know that you bring something great to the table and you are already positioned to excel. My goodness. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm loving hearing <laughs> everything you have to say. Now, how and when did you realize that you could overcome the inje- objections against you to rise above and become the vice president of a Fortune 500 company? Well, I realized that when I probably around about seventh grade, when I started to really get into the Bible, and I have to tell you, it wasn't because I was so good. We just had nothing else to do. <laughs> in this small hometown, I grew up Pentecostal. Everything was a sin, so you couldn't go have any fun. Oh, no. I- <laughs> So I really got into the Bible and I, I read scriptures like Isaiah fourteen twenty seven that says, uh, behold, the Lord has purpose who can thwart him. I, I learned scriptures that talk about sufficiency doesn't come from me. It comes from him. So I just believe that I embrace that. And I just said, it's going to inform everything I do. And so that's why I'm never a victim. If everything that happens to me is working together for my good, I'm just going to believe that. And sometimes I search for it and I don't see it. I don't have to see it. I just got to believe that when it's all said and done in the scheme of my life, every adversity has worked together for my good. So that's that's my mindset. As they say, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yes. Now, with your story, like personally for you, when did you realize that like, your finances matter, like you need to learn how to budget. I feel like a lot of people fall into this victim mentality of like, I'm in debt with this. I'm in debt with that. I can't quit spending money. How did you, have you ever struggled with that? And how did you overcome that? You bet I have. My father was very budget conscious. So I learned to budget money at about seven. My Mm -hmm. mom was sick most of her life. She was sickly. And um, I had to go and buy the family groceries. And my dad's, our budget was $25 for seven people. So Mm -hmm. I learned then how to budget and still have something for a luxury because I would save back a couple of dollars for my little stuff I wanted. Yeah. Save it. Yeah, but I yeah I learned, and my dad always say, don't let your yearnings exceed your earnings. And so mm. I try, listen, if something is so expensive, I just tell myself I don't like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. want it. I don't need it, really. I And you know what? I travel during this crisis. I see people all around me suffering. But I was so, we, my husband and I both were adamant about having cash reserves and living beneath our means. And so this hasn't been a struggle for us. And I, my heart goes out to the people who have because I see too many people buying things, trappings to make themselves feel better. I call it buying self-esteem. And mm. it's just crazy. It has to stop. And I think during this crisis, that kind of stuff is going to stop. No, and you mentioned your husband, and you've been married for over 40 years. 41. How'd you make that work? 41 years. Woo-hoo. That's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, the Lord himself. What <laughs> what tips do you have for married people that may be going through counseling right now, or they, they get into these arguments and they can't get past it? That's a common I'm factor. You, I'm going to give you a tip that they gave me when I was in the band. I, I've never had rhythm, despite the fact that I'm black, and all black folks must have rhythm, right? Mm. But I never... <laughs> had any rhythm. So I wanted to be a drum majorette. And every time I'd get off step with the person next to me and the drum major said, Smith, tighten that line up. He said, stop looking at the person next to you. Just get in step with the drum major. Everybody who's in step with the drum major would be in step with each other. Mm. God has been the drum major of our marriage. 
we both really want to please God. We really do. And I can't, I hope nobody's poo-pooing that because that is so critical. And we are so opposite. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. We look opposite. We are opposite. I'm a saver. He's kind of likes to spend and enjoy life. He said, you can't take it with you. I'm going like, what if we die tomorrow? We're going to wish we kept it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we don't die. <laughs> so we have just been in sync with the word of God. I, I want to please him. I honor him as the head of the house. I know I'm a rough and tough professional woman and all that. Not at home. <laughs> not at home. And I just, I honor him. I put him first. My career is not first. He's, and because of that, he supports it. He's just one of my biggest fans. And so it works. And do you have any resources that you either have created yourself or recommend for people when it comes down to budgeting and personal finance and getting that together for themselves? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I do. I do. I have a book called, I got so many books I can't remember the name of, 30 Days to Taming Your Finances uh, and The One Minute Money Mentor for Women. I, I am really adamant about women being empowered because when it's all said and done, most women will end up having to manage their own finances. We tend to live longer than men. So The One Minute Money Mentor for Women is really important uh, because a lot of women will say, I don't have a head for figures. I really hate to hear somebody who's a Christ follower to say that because you have a head for whatever you need a head for because you have the omniscient God resident in your heart. Yes, that is amazing. Goodness gracious. I need to start taking notes. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this one. (laughs) Now, with you being the successful woman that you are, what I've been reading over and over again on the front cover of your book, which I think looks amazing, uh, this book's going to be out on August 11th, wherever you buy books, airports, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, it'll be everywhere. But I keep reading over and over again in between where it says, lead like a woman, it says, gain confidence, navigate obstacles, empower others. Where did you come up with that? It's just so well, simple yet so powerful. And, and I started with the gain confidence because I love talking about that subject. I got to write a book on that one. Oh, that's right. I do have a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. Oh, oops, that's right. It's called 30 Days to a More Confident You, something like that. Mm. But you'll find it on my website at yeah. confrontingissues.com. But here's there the deal. Women don't have confidence. But see, this whole concept of gaining more self-confidence, it's the worldly concept. It really is. Because you see, confidence means with trust. That's what that word means. Confidence. Con means with, fit means trust, with trust. Self-confidence means with trust in self. And therein is where we fall, where we fall into trouble mm. because the self is limited to what we know, uh, uh, what we've done, any expertise that we've developed. That's often not enough. And I've been in too many situations where what I knew and all that stuff was just not enough. I needed some supernatural intervention. And so I am teaching people, listen, you can be confident because you always know that you have someone within you who knows everything. Now, you won't know everything, but you'll know everything you need to know when you need to know it. And I've been in situations like that, Trevor. I've been in corporate situations. I've been in boardroom tables where all eyes were on me. And I'm like, Oh God, you got to say something. I don't know what to say. And he says, and he speaks it to my spirit and I say it and people say, Oh, she's brilliant. I am so tickled by that. <laughs> I, am, I am so, I am so amused when somebody says I'm smart because I know that I'm not. Mm. I know that the adequacy flows through me and I stand on that. I stand on second mm. Corinthians three, five, not that I'm sufficient of myself to think of anything as being from me, but my sure. sufficiency comes from God. Oh, that's beautiful. And yeah. When you left your typical nine to five and you started having issues with speaking, what what happened? Like, can you explain I mean, yeah. that story? Yeah, I had to have brain surgery. I, I mm. developed a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. 
Mm-hmm. It was the most painful disease. They say it's one of the most painful diseases known to men because you, it's just like electrical pain. The bottom line was God had just allowed me to leave my job and uh, go and speak full time. So all of a sudden I can't even talk. I mean, I could be talking, Trevor, and I would just, I have to talk like this without moving my lips. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to show up anyway. So I, I showed up to every engagement. Once I had to put makeup sponges in my jaw just to keep it from moving because it was just it was just that painful. But wow. I tell you something, God showed himself strong. I did a, a television show that was supposed to be two shows. The lady got so excited. We did three. I, my mouth never shut down. And soon it was over. It did. I just know that uh, if you show up and that's the thing I want to get people to understand. Put, put God on the spot, prove him, test him, see when he show up. No, that's awesome. And when you were going through that, did you find yourself struggling with mental health along the way, any anxiety or depression going into that season? No, because I knew somehow in the scheme of things, it was all going to work out. So I, I, listen, I'm not trying to be funny, but I don't do depression. Mm. If I decide I'm going to be sad, <laughs> I'm going to give that. myself about five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you get about five minutes to say, ain't this awful and all of that. And then you got to say, okay, it's going to work together for my good. Listen, it's what you think about things. That's where the faith comes in. That's why when everybody's talking about these uncertain times, mm. these aren't uncertain times. God is not, God is not uncertain about what he's doing. So since I can't figure it all out, I just show up, get up every day and do what I'm supposed to do. And I just know somehow when this thing is over, I'm going to be on the good side of it. No, and that's awesome. And how can somebody coach themselves to that overcomer mindset? If they, anxiety is a big deal in our world right now. So many people struggle and it's like that feeling for me, it's always in my throat. Like I'm being choked almost like you couldn't speak. Like I just feel like I'm getting choked up. And, um, I know for myself when it came to developing this overcomer mindset, it, it took more of me making sacrifices like eating healthier, working out, making sure I'm staying active and just believing in myself a little more and surrounding myself with people that are going to believe and root me on even when I'm down that are willing to sit there and um, listen to me mope. But then also that are going to sit there and tell me like, you need to get up. This is pitiful. That's how I made it through a mental breakdown. I was living my best life. I was... I think I was 17. I graduated high school and um, I was on tour speaking, able to do all these things. I was on a fast track to quote unquote success and I had a mental breakdown. I deleted all my social media. I I quit everything and I went and started working for AT&T, became the number one sales rep for 2017 and was like, okay, so I was making good money for a 17-year-old. I purchased my first home at um, 19 years old. And wow. I was doing all of these things that on the outside looked successful, but Trevor wasn't happy. Like I was not happy. Money, having a home, none of that made me happy. So I had to reevaluate myself and be like, God, like, is there something more for me? And I felt him call me away from that comfortable nine to five that I had. Um, so I left the company and I just started pursuing the ministry side of things. And that's where Trevor Talks was birthed out of. Um, really just me overcoming that anxiety and that, um, what is it called? Imposter syndrome. Like I didn't feel like I was worth being on a platform. I didn't feel like my message was valid. And now I'm here today. And at times I still feel that way. But at the end of the day, yeah, like God tells me I am. He assures me, like, I wouldn't have given you this if you couldn't handle it. There are going to be days where you have to pull it together, Trevor. But for the most part, like, 
He's gifted you with this platform. He's gifted me with a voice and just, I feel like I, when I wake up in the morning, it's not like how much money am I going to make today? It's like, how am I going to encourage somebody to overcome that objection? How am I going to persuade someone that their fear and their anxiety is lying to them? So this mentality that I've developed over the years, I want to know how you did it. Like you're an African-American woman in the United States. You've overcome all these objections, became, what is it? Only 5% of the women that occupy the highest positions with the top 500 companies listed in the New York Stock Exchange, even though women make up nearly half of the workforce in the United States and hold over half of the country's middle management positions, female CEOs are still extremely rare. That rarity ended with you. Well, and I was never a CEO. (laughs) Sure. Like uh, the vice president. I was vice president. I was a vice president at Universal Studios. But I want to say something to you because you just blessed me because my pattern followed yours, Trevor. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you, you see yourself on the success path. And I think I constantly monitor myself so that I don't get caught up in wanting to be successful. And all of a sudden, my life is out of balance. And Mm -hmm. so I work hard for that. But I I like what you said about you just stopped it all because you weren't happy. Well, I'm I try to make sure I'm guarding against that. I want to make sure at any point in time I'm doing my why. And I can tell you I'm understanding my why. Why am I doing this? I'm questioning myself because as an African-American woman, I often felt the burden of of the race. I carry the burden of the race. I have to do this because people expect me to do this. I have to be in these unique environments because I'm representing the race. But, you know, am I really, you know, have I really taken God's place and trying to be this perfect example? Well, and I, I often feel like an imposter, but that's why I go back to my little scriptures (laughs) Proverbs 31, 18, I perceive that my merchandise is good. And if God has given me this, I often feel like, well, what are you good at? You know, you you talk about money, you talk about relationships. I write about all those things. It's like, are you just like all over the place? And that's what the enemy would tell me. You are all over the place. I'm like, no, I'm just in the places God tells me to write where the pain is now. I mean, most of my books are not about money. And I'm thinking that's where I should stick right there. I feel like an imposter talking about relationships, but I'm not an imposter because I have too, I have too many people who says I've been blessed Mm. by what you write. And so it comes back to what do you believe? And I heard you mention that Mm. when you are anxious, you have to understand something. You are anticipating a negative outcome. Mm. Why? Because we brought down, God down to our level of thinking. And all of a sudden, we can't figure it all out. Because some things are going to have to be done in the heavenlies. They really are. I don't mean to sound spooky. But no, there sure. are some things I'm just not going to be able to figure out. And I'm not even going to try. Mm. I'm just going to say, the, the will of the Lord be done. Give me this day my daily bread. I'm going to have, I'm going to, have to stay in that mode. And as you said, we got to take care of ourselves. we got to get out there and exercise, especially during stressful times. You need to get out there and let off that stress. You, I don't mm. care if you don't have to walk hard, but you need to get out there and just let that stress leave your body through those kinds of activities. So I'm, I'm very big on that. And you said something else. I told you my life is paralleling yours in this regard. You hang around people who can help you. You don't mm. need to be around negative people who are also anxious, who are also expecting a negative outcome. Because when you do that, you're just going to have an ain't it awful party. That's what it's going to be. You're just going to get together and whine. I will not be around people like that. I just won't. And you added value. You started to add value to other people. There's something about getting your eyes off yourself. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time volunteering. We jokingly say that because I am not money driven. I said, I, when I look at my time, I'm spending more time volunteering myself. I'm going to volunteer myself broke in a minute. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not, because I have to brag one more time on the faithfulness of God. In the 41 years that my husband and I have been married, mm. we have never not paid our tithes. We pay 10% of our income plus to our church, and we have never missed. 
And that is called the grace of God himself, because there were times we needed that money to make ends meet. And we decided not to. And God has blessed us. For anybody that just doesn't understand what a tithe is, what would you say to them? 10% of your increase, your income. Even if it's a gift, I pay 10% on my gifts. I'm, 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 I do that because the Bible says, um, give it will be given unto you. And Jesus said, you ought to tithe in Matthew 23, 23, because some people think you shouldn't. And I'm, if you don't do it, that's fine. I'm just talking about what works for me. But yep. he says, you know, you should tithe. And, and if Jesus said you should, <laughs> then you should. It was so, a recommendation, okay. but was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, you got to pour that 10% in and he's not asking for any 10%. He said the first 10%. The first See, That's 10%. why I take it off the top. And people ask yeah. me, should, do I tithe on gross or net? I said, well, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? It doesn't matter. <laughs> just as long as you're consistent. <laughs> I love that. Do you want a gross blessing? <laughs> That's awesome. And with business being so competitive right now, especially people battling for jobs, I think the last time I checked, not to bring things down to a negative level, we're not going to allow that in this show, but the country's at 25% of an unemployment rate. With people being so competitive in 2020, why is it important to view your colleagues as teammates and not rivals? Because your destiny is set. I mean, that's what's so good about being a peop- a person of God, a, a Christian, because you're not competing with anybody else for your destiny. You are surrounded with favor. And you have to believe that. I, I, and you have to act like it. And you have to ask for what you want. I, I don't care about those stats. When I, when I want something, listen, if I had cared about stats as an African-American, I would never get anything. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> so I, I totally ignore that. God is not limited by historically, this has happened. Statistically, this is happening. I just believe Psalms 512. Surely, oh Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with favor like a shield. Wherever I go, I believe I'm going to get some special favor. And I'm going to ask for it just in case they don't offer it. (laughs) I'm going to ask for it. I'm going to ask for it. I'm going to call in the people that I know. That's why I want in my book, I teach women to network. You need to be connected. Most of the things I've gotten in my life is because somebody else told somebody else and uh, to help me, to give me the favor. And so you got to ask for what you want. You got to go out there and believe that you can get it and just show up. Don't don't go in a hole. Don't wait for somebody to call you. Call everybody you know. And if, and if, and if necessary, go and volunteer somewhere. Even at a company, say, let me just add value a few few hours a week for you. Mm. You just never know. That's awesome. And when it comes down to it, when you view your teammates as rivals, that is a negative habit. That's something that's got to go. How would you explain the fact that like, how can we break some bad habits or downplay them in business? Just you got to have it. You have to adopt a new belief system. If you believe that if you even in in networking, let's just say, or even in how you interact with your boss, you know, I, I believe in getting along with people. I, I know that people like to do business and work with people they like. And so you work on being likable. You don't need to be argumentative. You want to position yourself. You want to be excellent at your work. But most of all, you want to have great people skills. Stay out of those crazy political discussions. You don't really know where people stand. I don't get involved with that because you just never know who you're offending. You know, I just know what I believe. I, I believe in biblical principles. I don't care what everybody else is talking about you know be unique but you know be known as a hard worker who is personable because it, during these days people need people who can get along with people and that they like so if you're not getting along with your boss get a new strategy and <laughs> as god to help you <laughs> yeah especially in this day and age it's like i felt like as a white male in the past few weeks we've seen so much racial injustice and just discomfort in this country and it's like everyone's looking at 
white people to like, you need to say something, you need to say something. And it's like, I felt a uncertain pressure there for a little bit, but I never impulsively said anything just off the whim to shut people up. It's like, we all need to learn to listen, learn and grow from these mistakes. And like, for me as a white male, like I went out to a rally in Monroe, Georgia, which is where I live. And I was asked to speak and I just spoke on what I knew. I never got out of my lane. I was like, you know, I grew up with a privilege that I was not aware of. I did not realize that the color of my skin was putting me in a position to be more able to get a job and not to get pulled over and such like I I was full blown taken back and like, okay, I understand this now, but I'm not a leader in that department yet. So how can I amplify voices that understand that have been on the positive and negative side of this? Who has not benefited from this? How can I learn from them? How can I say things that I know are true and not just say something out of feeling? And I think a perfect example of that is um, this past week, Louis Giglio said something in his message and it just blew up well, he said that white people were getting offended by white privilege, so let's call it a white blessing, and obviously came across wrong, wasn't the best thing to say. Um, yeah. Whoever approved that, I'm sorry, but it it just didn't come across as it should have. It should have never been said. But what are some things that we can do with you being an African-American woman, me being a white male? How can we work together and how can we bring value to each other in this moment of just uncertainty and justice and bringing it to the forefront of the conversation? How can we be helpful? I think you're doing it right now. You're using your circle of influence. You're using your realm to, to bring voices in like me who can tell their story. You're listening. You're seeking first to understand. You realize, and I love what you just said. You realize that you did indeed have a, a white privilege. And that doesn't, it's just advantage. I wish we could call that a white advantage. This is so mm. offensive to people, but there, you do have the privilege. I was just thinking this morning, it's almost like a person who's about to run a race and you have mm. people who have shoes and, and strong legs. And then you have another one who, who whose feet have been amputated. Mm. Uh, and, and you see that they, they just can't get there as fast. And so yeah. you're going to have to, you know, you got to help us out here. And so I, and I want to go back to what you said about the Pastor Giglio. I just feel so bad for him because I felt that he just said the wrong word. I don't yeah. think that reflected his heart that he really thought slavery yeah. was a blessing. So my, I'm challenging black folks to, to really, you know, us too, you know, uh, black folks, white folks, let's give each other some grace. Because yeah. a lot of white people are not speaking now because they don't know what to say. The, the mm. minute I say something, that's the wrong thing. I have lots of white friends and one of them told me, I, I'm, a lot of them are mega wives and mega uh, church pastors. Mm. One of them told me, she said, my husband said, I don't see, I don't see race. He, he, he said that to the congregation. Sure. Oh, he got slammed for saying that. Yeah. We have to understand when somebody says that they don't mean they don't see that you're black. What they mean is it's not impacting how I'm feeling. It's not going to sure. have a negative impact on my behavior and, and how I treat you. And I'm thinking, can we just learn to do something like that? Can we give each other the, the grace and yeah. not just be so sensitive that nobody can say anything because we need majority support. But if we force mm -hmm. them to be scared to say something, then, you know, it's not going to, they're going to be quiet. They're going to be quiet. And at the beginning I was, I was very scared that I was going to say the wrong thing, but I actually think like, obviously Louie said the wrong thing. I don't think that reflected his heart and his apology that he released after it takes a bold man 
to put himself it wasn't a written statement it was a video the man was practically in tears and i think that shows true leadership and acknowledgement that louis has led i would even go to say millions of people to christ he's been an amazing leader and he's still showing that his apology it showed us how Christians should react. He acknowledged that he said the wrong thing. Right. And what I think do? what else can he do? <laughs> yeah. And when I hear white people are offended by the word white privilege, you're just not over it. You're not yeah. over the fact that this is being spotlighted. And I've I've gotten a lot of heat for that in the yeah. past few weeks. And it's like how I bring myself back down to earth is like, okay, I don't 110% understand what all is going on right now, but my ears are 110% open to hearing it. And I'm not claiming to be an expert in this field. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to learn. I'm going to help educate and I'm going to use my voice where needed. But there are some times where my voice isn't needed. My ears are. And once my ears are, then maybe my voice will be needed. But when it comes down to it, God has a message that I feel like hasn't really been revealed through this yet. It's still in progress. God's moving. And especially today um, or yesterday, Sean King said that all the white um, Jesus statues needed to come down. And I'm like, okay, like I see what you're saying with like, Jesus wasn't white, 110% common knowledge. White Jesus, it's a statue. If the statue comes down, Jesus is still king. He still reigns. He's still the same Jesus he was yesterday, but it became a trend and people are bashing on both sides. It's like, why can't we have a great conversation and love each other? Yeah, like, it's going to take some unity. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I feel like that's what we're doing in this conversation now. It's like, you've got grace and compassion and I love that. And you're a leader. And, yeah. and when it comes down to it, like you're doing it. Well, and that's my that's my role. My, God has told me I want you to be a unifier because what I what I've discovered, and I I, I, I got to say this, I got to say it low because my husband's in the next room, but he's still struggling with just so many inequities that he suffered. But I'm thinking everybody needs a friend who's not who doesn't look like them so they can understand the story. So I think I understand the story because I interact regularly with a lot of white people who are, yeah. who have good hearts. I do, and I know they have good hearts. But I also inter- interact with a lot of black people who have struggled. I'm, I'm one of them. I, I, I've struggled with um, racism, and, and I gave you an instance earlier. But we got to come together. And this is in my list I sent you of ways that mm-hmm. blacks and whites can bridge the divide. I tell the white people, don't feel guilty for the sins of your ancestors. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to apologize for that, but you don't have to perpetuate it either. Yeah. <laughs> That's don't perpetuate it, but don't let yourself be caught up in that white guilt. But, you know, so that's that's the kind of thing we got to do. We got to bring people together. And, you know, it's so interesting. Our culture is so polarized until mm. you're almost a bad guy if you don't take sides. Yeah. It's like you can't be, you can't say good things about white people. You can't say bad things about black people. There are good white people. And there are bad black people. <laughs> we live in a cancel culture if somebody says the wrong thing or if a video comes out from 10 years ago like you're gonna get canceled and i'm not the biggest deal in the world so one thing that i will tell you is i have said things in my life that i'm not proud of and anybody that wants an apology i apologize i'm not the same person as i was before i met jesus and that's that's all I can tell you. Like if uh, 20 years from now, God gives me some kind of, or even two days from now, some kind of amazing platform worldwide, people know who I am in a video from 
two years ago, three years ago comes out and I said something that I wasn't supposed to say, I apologize. I'm sorry if I offended you. I don't know what else I can say. And if I feel like there's more power in acknowledging that you've done things in your life before the fact, like why wait for it to come out? If you know you did something and you acknowledge that there's so much power in that move past it. Like we can't cancel everybody. Everybody (laughs) said Barack Obama, Donald Trump, um, Oprah Winfrey, uh, most recently Jimmy Kimmel, uh, video came out of something he said in the nineties. And it's like, everybody said stuff they're not proud of. Listen, we've all, we've all, I know I've taken out the broad brush in a moment of feeling totally wanting to feel like somebody just tried to victimize me. Mm. Sometimes I've taken the broad brush and say, they're all that way. Let me tell you a broad brush that I took. This is my 18th book. This is the first book I put my picture on. What was my broad brush? I said, don't let Mm. people know I'm black. I got a funny last name that sounds like it may not be black. I said, because white people devalue black intellect. You see what Mm. I just said? White people devalue black intellect. Mm. That was refuted the minute my book came out because some people have review copies already. And it was a lady who wrote and she wrote a review and she said, I had just decided I want to, um, I want to read uh, books by African-American authors. I couldn't wait. I'm like, oh no, all this time, no, no pictures on my books. Cause I just didn't want people not buying it. Cause I was black, mm. but I made that assumption this, and you know what? It may prove to be a blessing that I'm now putting my picture on my books. <laughs> yeah. And even when we started doing this podcast at first, I didn't want my face on the cover just because I was like, I was having insecure thoughts. I was like, nobody wants to look at me. Like they're not going to, they're going to see me and they're like, nah, I'm not going to listen to that. And here we are. Like I like the cover now when I'm smiling on it. And that took some, like I had to overcome some insecurity on that. And I feel like we do daily, like, oh, I wonder when I'm going to change my profile picture today. Or if we do a PR shoot like you for the book, I'm sure there were hundreds of pictures taken to find the right one for this. And it turned out great. Well, I just I just turned in one because I would just debated on it. But here's the funny part. When I first got with this publisher and when when a black person says who doesn't look like me, we mean a white person. So mm. get that little lingo down. <laughs> but when I they, they didn't look like me and I thought and their market is mostly white people. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this is going to be hard. So I told them, I said, well, don't put my picture on. And I jokingly said until I've sold a million books and then you can put my picture on. Well, we got to a million and now we had two million. And I said, well, it ain't broke. Fix it. <laughs> Amazing. I just decided to come out. <laughs> there you go. Like I'm, I'm your picture out. is in the book. Your picture is in the book and it's going to be on store shelves and in people's homes all over the world. And that has to take, I, I hope you have a sense of pride in that, that God chose to use you in this mighty way. If you're anything like me, I sit back at night and I'm like, God, like you chose me. Why? Like, I don't feel worthy, but you did. Like, thank you, God, for this grace that you've given me. And it's all of these successes we've talked about. There's also things that we have in our life that they've got to go. So to close us out, what are 12 tendencies that could be hindering your progress in life? Okay. Well, I'm going to read them real fast, just as I did the the inherent traits that are good. I'm going to read the um, counterproductive tendencies, sure. lacking confidence, mm. pursuing perfection, disfavoring other women, mm. this chronic multitasking, which is a myth, <laughs> downplaying <laughs> your personal skills and accomplishments, sure. forsaking work-life balance, mm. lacking executive presence. Mm. You know, you don't speak up. You don't sound, you don't speak yeah. out, you know, speaking like a weakling, <laughs> you know, apologizing unnecessarily and all that stuff, failing to engage constructive feedback, taking it personally, expecting instead of asking, 
neglecting to build an effective network, and finally, misunderstanding the mindset of men. Mm. So mm. those are the things that we got to really shore up because, listen, we're, we're born to be leaders. Mm. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Mrs. Deborah Smith Pegge, and it's just been such a privilege to speak with you today. Thank you so much for lending us your voice and your wisdom and just being open for this conversation that I strongly believe is going to impact a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trevor. And I love your heart. You, I, I felt your sincerity. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, this is going to go down as one of my favorite episodes to date, so you guys be sure to go check out Miss Deborah Smith-Pigay's new book, Lead Like a Woman, in stores everywhere on August 11th. Be sure to go check her out on social media at Deborah Smith-Pigay. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.